0: Daily routines are often God's best moments in your life if you're willing to catch the wind. When you're around someone with a lot of faith or they're catching the wind in that moment, this was a divine moment where the surge of divine came into the physical body and the spirit man of Peter and it just came out of him. You never know when God is going to call on you to be involved in something spontaneous and miraculous at any given time if you're catching the wind. We are continuing in this Catch the Wind series, looking at the exciting and the challenging story of the Book of Acts. And the title for this weekend's message is supernatural and suffering, supernatural and suffering. So let's dive right in and have a look at Acts chapter 4. What's happened here is that the beggar at the gate beautiful has been healed and there really is quite the fuss that is going on. It's a remarkable healing and now something quite unexpected takes place. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It happened uh, a lot of years ago in Reno, Nevada, Uh, I was a youth pastor back then, and there was a youth conference happening in Reno. So we were taking the kids to the conference, and for some reason, some crazy person nominated me to drive the van. How many know this was not going to turn out well? And you're absolutely right. First of all, I got myself all confused because I was told to park on the pavement. Now, in England, the pavement for us is the sidewalk, The pavement is the sidewalk, and the road, well, we call that the road. So, first of all, I uh, parked on the uh, sidewalk, which didn't go down well, and uh, then we're driving along, and I didn't realize that I was driving in the parking lane of the road that we were on. I'm driving along happily in the parking lane, and uh, a member of the local law enforcement authority, decided that he felt compelled to visit with me. And so he came up behind me. Now, I need to explain this. This this has changed now because of American cop TV. But it used to be in England, if if the police wanted to visit with you, they'd come up and they would pass you. They would pass you and then they would come in front of you and then there'd be a light on the back of their police car and it just said, stop. Actually, because it was Britain, it said, Stop, if you don't mind most awfully. No, i I made that up. I made that up. So, uh, I'm driving along, and the policeman wants to visit with me. So, he puts his blue and red flashing lights on. And I'm driving along. He's behind me, blue and red flashing lights. I thought, oh, attractive light show. So, I carried on driving. So, he obviously got a bit irritated. So, he... Now he's got his lights on, and then he put his siren on. Woo! Woo! That was a siren impersonation right there. Uh, Red and blue lights, and we got a siren going too. But I'm thinking, uh, he doesn't want to talk to me because he hasn't pulled in front. So I carried on driving. He's got a searchlight, a floodlight on top of his car. So now he puts the floodlight in my mirror. I'm thinking, nice lights. I carried on driving. And then he's got a PA that he can speak to me through. He's got like loud speakers on the car. So he says, pull over right now. Didn't even say please. So I felt led to pull over. And then I make my next mistake, ladies and gentlemen, because I jump out of the car. How many know that's a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Do not do that should put your hands on the steering wheel and stare straight ahead of you looking profoundly innocent i jump out of the car i said yes officer and i see him silhouetted in the floodlight like this and i'm waiting for him to say go ahead make my day proverbs 11:9 now, I made that up too. Some of you were writing that down. you know oh, I didn't. I remember feeling utterly intimidated as I stood there. Talk about intimidation by authority. It's been a year since the day of Pentecost. Everything's going great. No opposition. Unexpectedly, no opposition. In fact, the op- opposite. Because... Because the church is held in favour with the people. This is going really good. And and now we've had a miraculous healing. This is going to bust the whole thing wide open. But suddenly in chapter 4, as the wind of God is blowing, another storm from another direction comes and the mood changes. The beggar had entered Solomon's porch. We know from history 60 feet high, white painted columns, stretching up to a cedar roof. The beggar's voice reverberating around that colonnade. And the police show up. The temple police with the religious leaders. And they're mad. They're really mad. Luke says they were greatly disturbed. The Greek word there means worn out unable to put up with any more. These guys are irritated and they came up to Peter and John. The Greek word is to, to confront, to interrupt. This is, this is aggressive. It's too late to put them on trial. It's too late in the day. So they toss them in jail overnight. This is intimidating. This is terrifying stuff. It's, it's intimidating. First of all, Because Peter and John are going to appear before the very same group of people that Jesus appeared before. One commentator has said that this is effectively a reopening of the trial of Jesus. This is what they're dealing with. Secondly, they knew that their message was confrontational. It was confrontational theologically. Did you notice in the text that Luke tells us that they are preaching the resurrection of the dead. You say, why does he tell us that? Well, that would have made the Sadducees really mad. You say, you see, they didn't believe in resurrection, life after death. And so the very message that Peter and John were proclaiming confronted that because they're saying, Jesus is alive. That would have made the Sadducees mad. Does anyone remember that saying back from Sunday school days? They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad. You see, it yeah, wasn't well, funny then. It's not funny now, let's face it. <laughs> but there is a theological conflict that's taking place. There's a political conflict, too, because these are the sadducees. They are land owning gentry, they are the aristocrats, and they want to keep their Roman overlords happy. Because they're in a nice deal with the Romans. In exchange for keeping the peace, the Romans have given the Sadducees high privileges and power in the Jewish nation. In the Gospels, it's the Pharisees who come against Jesus. In the book of Acts, it's the Sadducees who consistently come against the church. Why? Because they didn't want to rock the boat. They were political collaborationists accommodating the Romans. What matters is the money. Any talk of a Messiah, a raised from the dead Messiah, the Romans are going to come in. They'll they'll nip that thing in the bud. We don't want our comfortable little lives to be shaken up. Let's deal with this quickly. It's intimidating stuff. And then imagine the scene. We know from history that the Sanhedrin, this council, there were 70 of them. We know from history, I want you to imagine the scene in your mind, they sat in a semicircle on a raised platform. There was a scribe at each end of the semicircle taking careful notes there were three rows of students, law students, sitting there too. Seventy judges, two scribes, legal students. This is an intimidating situation. Peter and John have to stand in the midst of them. Again, we know from history, they would have stood on a lower platform, looking up into the glaring eyes of their accusers, with the high priest presiding over The courtroom, and then look at the cross examination. They say, "In what power, by what name, did you do this?" They knew the answer to that. Everybody knew this was this was done by the name of Jesus. What they wanted Peter and John to do was admit that it was done in the name of Jesus, because they considered these judges considered Jesus to be a blasphemer and an executed criminal. In this text, it says they realized that they had been with Jesus. Christians read that, they think, oh, isn't that nice? No, it's not nice. They knew that they'd been with Jesus, the executed criminal. There was an indictment on them because of their relationship and friendship with Jesus. It's it's intimidating. I'm looking around this room right now. What's all this got to do with us? I'll tell you what it's got to do with us. Some of us right now are living intimidated. Life is making us nervous. We're in the waiting room. How many of you, like me, you hate waiting? You go to the grocery store. You take a number. It's number 473. You look at the little digital readout. It's 27. Some of us right now, I've spoken to you this weekend. You're waiting for the test results. The pressure is on. And there is a sense of there being little you looking up at and surrounded by very challenging circumstances. What does this text, as we dig into it carefully, what does this have to say to you, to us? Number one, if you're following in the bulletin. Number one, let's see this. Suffering is inevitable. Don't be surprised about it. Suffering is inevitable. Don't be surprised. Verse three, it says, they put them in jail until the next day. Brothers and sisters, I think what happens to us is that we kind of get surprised by suffering. We have this inherent thought that it's going to be other people that bad stuff happens to not us. Surely not us. Why would, why would bad stuff happen to us? And, and, and some of us have got this, this worsened notion that because we are people of faith in Jesus, that no bad stuff is going to happen to us. You know what? You know what happens when we believe that? It makes the suffering worse. Because not only do we navigate the pathway of pain... But we torment ourselves by saying, has God abandoned me? Did I not pray enough? Have I sinned? What's going on? And we are surprised at suffering. I cannot cannot solve the problem of suffering in one point in one sermon. That's too big an assignment for me. But I can tell you this. Don't be surprised about it. Don't be surprised about it. 1 Peter 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Look at this. They're, They're overnight in jail. Now, we could just skim over that, but please realize that there are three other occasions in the book of Acts, in addition to this, where apostles are thrown into jail and an angel shows up and breaks them out. On the fourth occasion, actually they're told to stay in the cell just to irritate people, but that's not important right now. So here's the question, how come in Exhibit B, C and D of jail lockup situations, angels show up and bust them out, but in this one, they don't? What's the answer to that? I haven't got a clue. Because Luke does not attempt to explain it. The reality that we live with, some of us are not going to like this, is that there are times when God intervenes and then again he doesn't. What we do know is we shouldn't be surprised at trouble. Jesus had warned Peter and John about this very day. Look at it, Mark 13. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils. And flogged in the synagogues on account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And then Jesus not only promised the pain, but also he promised to help them as well. When they arrest you, Matthew ten, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. Hey, I'm not sure I should say this, but I think I will. How many think I should, even though you don't know what I'm going to talk about? Sometimes the TV evangelist says if you're a person of real faith you won't have any trouble if you just send an offering in and put it on the credit card. I mean, I don't know I don't know how the early church got on without TV and credit cards. I just don't know. Now I could argue chapter and verse about how that is so wrong, but I don't think I'll bother I think I will just dismiss that idea that if you're a person of faith, you won't suffer. Let me just tell you what happened to the apostles. That that, that might settle the argument. Uh, Matthew suffered martyrdom by the sword. And Mark died in Alexandria, having been dragged through the streets of the city. And Luke, who wrote this, was hung on a large olive tree in Greece. John was immersed in boiling oil. Uh, He survived that but lived his final days in exile. And Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. And James the Less was thrown from a high pinnacle and beaten to death with a club. Philip, well, he was hanged. Bartholomew was scourged and beaten until he died. Andrew was bound to a cross, preached at the top of his voice and then perished. Thomas was run through with a lance Uh, Jude was killed by executioner's arrows, Matthias was stoned and then beheaded, Barnabas suffered the same fate, and Paul was beheaded in Rome. What do you mean? If I just follow Jesus, I won't have any stuff go wrong. Let's not be surprised at the fiery trial. Because our faith, does not fold when we hear the heartbreaking news of over a hundred people slaughtered by a bomb in Turkey. And our faith does not collapse when a lone gunman walks into an Oregon campus in Roseburg and puts a gun to the head of nine, particularly picking out the Christians. Our faith does not collapse. We weep. We grieve. And we pray for those who still bleed. But we are not surprised as if pain is not part of life on this earth. Secondly, second, let's know that pressure produces greatness or exposes weakness. Pressure produces greatness or exposes weakness. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, particularly as I travel around, it doesn't, doesn't happen so much here at Timberline. Um, but it's amazing the things that people have come up to me and, and, and say. You know, like, why didn't you wear your cowboy boots today? <laughs> well, I did, you know, wearing Why did you get your hair cut like that? Well, it's all I got to work with. And, you know, I love humor. I, 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 how many think humor's okay, you know? And a fun before death is a good idea, I believe. I love preaching at Timberline because it's not the frozen chosen, you know. And I, I was using some humor one day in this church and a lady came up to me. She said, I want you to know I don't suffer fools gladly. I'm thinking, why are you telling me, honey? And then I think I got it. <laughs> Fool. These are ignorant, unlearned men. Do you know what the Greek word is in the text? It is idiotis. From which we get our word, idiot. These, these men surprise the religious authorities because they're, they're not religious scholars. I wonder whether Peter was surprised at himself when he stood up that day. Let me show you something. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus before a girl at the high priest's door. Peter denied Jesus before the servants and officials of the high priest's house. And thirdly, Peter denied Jesus before one of the high priest's servants. And now, he's right looking in the face of the high priest. The big poobah. I have no idea what the word "poobar" means. But this man who has been a denier is now transformed into being a proclaimer. Why? Luke tells us he's full of the Holy Spirit. Sir, sir, to use language reminiscent of my encounter with the Nevada police, sir, step away from the affirmation that you can never be any different. Back away immediately from that foolish notion. Do not tell me that that destructive pattern in your marriage can't change because you can't change. Do not tell me that you are chained to that addiction and it will be with you until you die because the moment you surrender the white flag to that, you are denying the reality of the gospel, which is not Please, Christian people, do a little bit better, will you? That's not the message. The message is that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to change that which we cannot change in ourselves as we cooperate with God. Where have we surrendered to sameness? Thirdly, thirdly, when culture collides with faith, be confident about Christ. When culture collides with faith, be confident about Christ. Look at what Peter says, verse 12. He says, Salvation is found in no one else. He's talking about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. You want to make people mad? You just say that. And that's true in today's culture. How many know that spirituality is kind of trendy? It's cool to be spiritual. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. You So you begin every day by standing on your head stark naked in the bathroom meditating on an Ecuadorian fruit bat by the name of Doris the winged one. Awesome! And Jesus comes, and I'm going to get a little bit passionate about this, so brace yourselves. Jesus comes and he drives a truck through that pluralist, relativist mist. And he stands before us and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am it. No man comes to the Father but by me. We must either bow down and worship him or we must dismiss him as a mad lunatic. And in our culture, in our culture, sooner or later, someone's going to say, you can't say that anymore. Because it's hateful. It is not hateful to quietly and confidently affirm the truth of our convictions. And someone please say amen. Amen. It may not be popular. And by the way, let's not rant about it, says he who's just engaged in a bit of a rant. Let's be confident. Fourthly, Let's make prayer more than a habit. It's a lifeline. Let's make prayer more than a habit. It's a lifeline. Look at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Some years ago, when our kids were younger, my daughter Kelly was 13 We had some friends come from America to have a vacation in England. We went, I think, to Devon in the West Country. I remember it was raining. I can say that confidently of any vacation (laughs) that I've ever taken in England. I remember it was raining. It was raining and the kids, even though they're 13 and 10, our two kids... The kids are still preoccupied with that little saying that they learn early in life, which they reserve for road journeys. Are we there yet? No, we are not. If you ask me that again, you'll be grounded until you're 35. We pull over at this rather scruffy looking truck stop kind of place. The kids are hungry. So we pull in and the two boys and our, Kay and I and the other mum and dad, we, we sit down at a table and we order some tea, hot, hot tea. And our two girls go around to the bathroom. And where they go to find the bathroom, there's a pool table, a pool table. And there's four big, beefy, muscly, greasy, huge, gigantic, Thuggish, violent, aggressive, giant-looking, aggressive, violent, greasy dudes playing pool. And one of them makes a bit of a salacious remark to my daughter. She he thought she was cute and he said something that he shouldn't have said. She said, you don't realise this, but our dads are sitting just round the corner. You are going to regret saying that to me. I can see it in your eyes. You're going, how'd that turn out? (laughs) It's easy. We fled. When the girls felt threatened... They came running to Daddy. When the church felt threatened, they went running to Daddy in prayer. They affirm who God is. They use a very interesting word at the beginning of their prayer, Sovereign Lord, Despotis, from which we get our word despot or despotic. They are saying, You are the big authority, God. You are, no matter how big these guys think they are, you're you're the big authority. They remind themselves who God is. They quote Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm that speaks about God's rule across all the earth. About God laughing at his enemies. And notice what they don't pray for. I mean, if I was threatened, I I might go like this. um, O Sovereign Lord... I now bring to you a prayer for a request for the instant cremation of those who stand against you. O oh, Lord Nukem. <laughs> I mean, you might, mightn't you? You might say, they threatened us. Come on, God. They might say, would you please pray? Lord, would you please help them to stop this unpleasant behavior? Uh, You might pray. You might pray this. You might say, God, would you please convert the whole council? That would be pretty awesome. They don't pray any of that. You know what they pray for? They pray for courage. They pray for boldness, knowing that if they're more bold, there's going to be more pain. They're courageous. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to run to daddy. We need to learn how to pray. A weekend service at Timberline is not going to do it. Sorry. Popping in here for an hour and seven minutes. Five if I stick to time. Seven usually. Is not going to do it for you. This is about supporting your spirituality, but it's not... The sum of your spirituality. We need to pray now. Can I, I? I've got a confession to make. How many would like to hear the pastor confess? Raise your hand. See, there's a. I can't. I wish you could see the faces right now. There's this sense of delicious anticipation. Here goes. I'm not good at prayer. I really want to be better, but I'm not good at it. I'm an activist. I like to do stuff. So the idea of stilling my mind, I never kneel down to pray because if I do, I'm going to fall asleep. Anybody else have trouble like this? Raise your hand if you do. 23 of us have trouble. (laughs) Who has trouble with lying on Sundays? (laughs) I walk when I pray because you can't fall asleep when you're walking. You don't see people walking along and they just go... When I pray, my mind drifts. Does your mind drift? I think, what's for supper? Where am I in that latest TV series I'm watching? Sometimes, I'm ashamed to tell you, I even pray for the characters in the TV series. It's weird. When I was a young pastor, I got together with three or four other pastors in our city And we were really looking for a breakthrough spiritually in our city. We didn't know what a breakthrough would look like, but we announced to our wives, uh, we had one each. Just saying, just saying. Didn't want to start a rumor, honey. We announced to our wives, we are going to a place of prayer seeking the Lord for a breakthrough. We are fasting and praying until we see the breakthrough. We may not see you for many weeks. Our wives smiled knowingly and also noted that we didn't take a toothbrush or a change of clothes, so we weren't going to be that long, now were we? We got together for our epic, awesome time of seeking the Lord and prayer. I prayed out a prayer for about... Ten minutes or so. The Salvation Army Major, he threw one in for about five minutes. The Baptist guy, he threw one in. And the Methodist guy, he, he put one in. Then I, I put, then I raised the stakes and threw another prayer in. After about two hours, we were all prayed out. Couldn't think of another thing to pray about. Suddenly, gloriously, one among us made an announcement someone suddenly said, You know what, guys? I sense that we've got that breakthrough that we've been praying about. I think we can go home to our wives and eat! (laughs) Amen, we cried, for we had been without food for at least 130 minutes. (laughs) I'm embarrassed when I tell you that. I'm even more embarrassed when I tell you it was me who had the revelation. Am I sharing this with you? Some of you are sitting there right now going, You're a pastor. You're a pastor. I knew that. You should be able to pray. I knew that. I just refuse to stand up here on a platform six foot above contradiction, maybe five, and give you the impression that I passed the I'm quick on the draw when it comes to prayer. But I woke up this morning, 5.30 a.m., my alarm went off. It did, that's true. Then I did a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine. As I flew through the air, I landed in my cowboy boots. ripple of inappropriate excitement I feel <laughs> just kidding I don't want to give you the imp- I just get I get disenfranchised by preaching that gives you the impression or me that i have arrived and you're on the journey no but I do know this if it's hard it's hard but we need to pray you want to make a congregation feel guilty, just say one word, prayer. My intention is not to make us feel guilty, but to encourage us to run to the Father. Number five. Number five, God wants us to be encouraged when we suffer. God wants us to be encouraged when we suffer. Look at this, how wonderfully God encourages them. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Why did God do that? because He wanted them to know that even though they didn't know the outcome of what was going to happen, that He was with them. The shaking, the trembling, the earthquake in the Old Testament was a, a statement that says, God is present. Look at me, everybody, for a moment, will you? I know, I know. Some of us right now are navigating our way through some really difficult stuff. I, I, I can't tell you how it's going to turn out, but I can tell you this. He will always be present. He's the God who gives endurance and encouragement, says Romans 15 and verse 5. And God wants to encourage you that He will always be present with you. Let me close with this. I was, I was preaching for the Salvation Army in Australia had a day off, so I went scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef. Bad idea. We got out in this boat. There's a dive instructor who threw his tanks up in the air and they landed on his muscly shoulders. And there's me struggling into my tank, hoping not to fall backwards. He gathered us around as a group. He said, I want you to know, that there are box jellyfish out there, you must wear stinger suits. We had to wear suits that covered every part of our bodies. I looked like an aquatic beekeeper. <laughs> A difficult analogy, I know, but try. He said there are box jellyfish. If they, get, if they sting you, you will want to die. He said also there are sharks down there. We will meet sharks. Please the Lord, I cried in falsetto. I'm bobbing around on the surface of the water. I'm wanting to say, this is a mistake. Get me back onto the boat. I didn't think this was diving. I thought this was the 10-pin bowling outing. We went down. We did not see box jellyfish. We did see sharks. And I sensed that they were giving thanks for the food. But everything was changed. Because the dime instructor said, It's all right. I'll be with you. We are not told the end of our stories, but we are told this. And for them, it was in the shaking of the rafters. For us, it's in the solid truth of the word. He will always always, always be with us. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we huddle around your word and we see a people in pain and under pressure, A night in jail. Uncertainty lurking in the shadows. We thank you that your word equips us. Not just for Sunday morning, but for Monday morning. For where we live. First of all, Lord, we look beyond ourselves. We pray for people today in Turkey. Who are grieving following this terrible bombing. We pray for the little a little community in Roseburg, Oregon, where this morning people have woken up with tear-stained faces, as they have done every morning these last few weeks. Strengthen. Encourage. Draw close. Bring light where there is darkness. We pray, too, for our own Timberline family here, for those among us who are waiting, navigating uncertainty. And if that's you, just whisper to God right now, it's me, Lord, that's me. Hear my prayer. Would you strengthen your people with your presence, nothing less. Not just with ideas or concepts, but with your presence. Finally, Lord, help us as this story reveals your transforming power as the denying Peter became the proclaiming Peter. Wherever we've surrendered to sameness, shake us out of that. Let's keep our heads bowed for a moment. I wonder how many of us today would say, you know what? I have done that. I've surrendered to that addiction. I've surrendered to that pattern. I've said, this is me. It's never going to change. This is not, by the way, an invitation to you to respond if you could just do a little better in your life. That's not what this is about. You know that you are in the grip of a pattern of destruction. And today, you want to acknowledge that that glimmer of hope that you're feeling right now could lead to change and transformation. If that's true for you, I want to ask you please, as our heads are bowed, just to lift your hand and hold it there for a second or two and then put it down again. Would you be bold enough to do that right now, please? Around this place. You can put your hands down. I want to tell you that at the end of the service, our prayer team will be here. If you are not a Christian, they want to introduce you to Jesus. They want to lead you to Him. He is the answer, not Timberline, not religion. Jesus. So blow on the embers, Lord, of our hope. Where you've seen a raised hand, we pray for that ongoing, dynamic, transformation of your Holy Spirit to change us into what you would have us to be. We agree together and we give you our praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said